0: The reading is taken from Mark chapter 4, verses 35 to 41. That day, when evening came, he said to his disciples, Let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along, just as he was, in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him.
1: Thank you, Grace. Let's pray as we look at this passage. So, Lord, we thank you so much for your word. And we pray, Lord, that you'd bring it to life for us. Teach us from it as we spend time in it today with you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So here's a question for you as we start out. When last were you terrified? When last were you properly afraid? You might need to cast your minds back or you might say, right now, right now, at the beginning of this week in Parliament. Uh, Last night I was uh, with a a lady who works in Parliament who said she doesn't know whether her job is going to exist next week. It might be that it's right now that you're afraid. But when you were afraid, when you were in that situation, how did you act? What did you do? Who did you turn to for help? A little while back when I was at university uh, in South Africa in Cape Town, my dad and I decided to take up kayaking. And we bought this fantastic, sleek uh, K2 kayak. And it was about as as thin as my waist. Uh, We sort of just popped on top. It had been used for racing kayaking marathons, and Dad used to sit in the back, he was the powerhouse, I was in the front, and we'd take this kayak out whenever we thought the conditions were suitable. There was one particular Saturday morning where we thought we'd take it out. Even though the conditions weren't ideal, the wind was up a little bit, and we went out onto a lake called Sunflake, which is just off the mountain from Cape Town. As we went out from the harbour on the lake, suddenly the wind started to get stronger and we found that the waves were hitting the side of the boat. And very soon they were lapping over our little kayak and into the kayak. And we thought, this isn't going very well, is it? Uh, But we thought we'd just go faster and see if we could get to the other side. Now that didn't help because the waves got bigger and the kayak slowly started to fill up with water. And very soon, Dad and I were paddling frantically as this boat got lower and lower in the water we realised something horribly was going wrong. But we had foot pumps in this boat. So we frantically pumped with our feet and water was spraying out the little spray thing at the back behind us, like an exhaust, uh, as we paddled along. Um, But the boat got lower and lower in the water even with our pumping efforts. And eventually, it was just our torsos out of the water with the entire boat submerged like a submarine underneath the waves. It must have been the most hilarious thing to see from the side. But it wasn't hilarious for us. We were pretty worried. But we would have been a lot more worried if we couldn't swim. We would have been a lot more worried if we couldn't get to the side. We would have been a lot more worried uh, if the water was deeper. And in fact, the disciples were in that situation in the boat uh, back in that day when they're there with Jesus. And just imagine, just imagine we couldn't swim, and just imagine instead of having my dad in the kayak, it was Jesus. Just imagine Jesus had said to me, "Guy, it's been a rough day, I've been preaching all day, could you get me across to the other side of the lake? And I might say, Jesus, I know you aren't an expert kayaker, but I know my stuff. So you jump into the back, I'll do the hard work, and let's get you across to the other side of the lake. And as I'm paddling him across the lake, the wind starts to come up again and the waves start to lap over the kayak and fill this kayak again with water. And I start to pump the water out with my feet as fast as I can. That little spurty thing is spurting the water back into Sunshle. And then comes the crunch point where I realise that we're not going to make it over to the other side. We're going to turn into a submarine. And I turn around to Jesus. And I know that this guy can't kayak. I know he is an expert. I know I'm willing to do the work. But I turn around and he's gone to sleep. In the back of my kayak. And I'm thinking we're just about to die. And he's willing to sleep. He's got a foot pump in there. Come on man. Pump your foot. Do you care if we're going to die? And so I turn around and I say exactly that to him. Jesus don't you care? that we're about to die. Now I think if I say those words to Jesus, I'm going to get the same rebuke that Jesus gave his disciples. You have little faith. Don't you trust me? And maybe the question for today is why is it right for Jesus to give me that rebuke? in that situation where I'm in full-out panic and it feels like he isn't doing anything. And to find the answer to that question, we're going to have to dig into this, into this passage. So let's examine it a bit like uh, the investigators must have examine, examined the, the evidence when the Concordia crashed off the Italian post a couple of years ago. We start off with an eyewitness Sort of account. We find out that there are other boats in verse uh, 36, and um, they've got Jesus in the stern of their boat in verse 38. He's he's sitting on a cushion. In fact, we find Mark gives us more detail than the other Gospels, probably because it is Peter who is helping Mark write his Gospel, and Peter uh, would have been in the boat there, most probably with Jesus. And so Jesus has been preaching in the boat and the reference to them taking him just as he was probably referred to casting off with him still in the boat from the position that he'd been preaching in. And the, the boat, if you want some feeling of, it, of, of what, it, what it's like, it is a, probably a 26 and a half foot vessel, uh, seven and a half foot wide. They've dug out some of these in the side. Of Lake Galilee, uh, they were propelled by four rowers, two on each side, and they had a total capacity of about fifteen people. And it's also helpful to know in this evidence search that storms and squalls uh, were likely uh, an occurrences. They occurred often uh, off, uh, on, on Lake Galilee. You see, Mount Herman rises nine thousand two hundred feet, just thirty miles northeast of Lake Galilee. And this wind uh, is created from a uh, a hot air that rises in the afternoon off Lake Galilee and mixes with the cold wind that comes down Mount Hermon and creates turbulent winds, uh, which is a that They're called the shark here in Arabic or the shark in English. And we find Jesus as the storm starts brewing, the wind and the waves uh, up there again, we find Jesus asleep in the stern of the boat on the cushion. And, and this is one of the most amazing things, is the only time that Jesus is mentioned as sleeping in the Gospels is in this particular mention where he is in the midst of a storm. It depicts his complete trust in God the Father. But the disciples are the complete opposite of Jesus. They're frustrated. They're desperate in the circumstance. circumstance. And their desperation turns them to rudeness, in fact. The opposite of faith sometimes isn't unbelief, but rather it's fear. And we see fear in the disciples. But as they raise Jesus from his slumber, he stands up, and I can imagine him sort of shaking in this boat, just like trying to adjust his feet while he reaches out his hand to the wind and the waves, and he rebukes them, verse 39, he says, quiet, be still. And this isn't achieved by a prayer or an incantation, but rather it's the authoritative word of Jesus, which might take us back to Genesis chapter 1, where he brought the world into being. Jesus' word of rebuke comes almost like an exorcism. See, in the Old Testament, the wind and the waves were often seen as hostile forces over which only God could prevail. And Jesus, therefore, in this circumstance, does only what God can do. And after he's rebuked the wind and the waves and said, be still, and they've become still, and they've obeyed him, he turns around to his disciples who are in the front of the boat and he rebukes them. And he shows through his rebuke that they haven't yet grasped who he is. And therefore, we read them asking this question of Jesus, "Who?" Is this who is this that's in the boat Here's authority over the wind and the waves and in fact this question that they're asking is the question that the whole of Mark's gospel is compiled around Mark is at pains to point out the things that Jesus does that only God can do so in, in chapter 8 uh, verse 38 um, he's uh, he, uh, he's answered this question, Jesus answers the question, who do people say I am? By, by replying, some say John the Baptist. Um, this is the, the uh, disciples replying, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others one of the prophets. And then Jesus says to his disciples, but who do you say I am? And Peter answers, you are the Messiah. And then later in Mark 14 we read the high priest asks him are you the messiah the son of the blessed one and Jesus replies in verse 62 he says i am which echoes Exodus 3:14 where God says to Moses i am who i am has sent you he says i am and you'll see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. So if the disciples had recognised who Jesus was, who the one sitting in the boat was, how might they have addressed him differently? You see, Jesus might not have been an expert sailor. He might not have been an expert kayaker. he is the all-powerful creator of the world, the creator of the elements, the wind and the waves. If the disciples had recognised him for who he was, they wouldn't have said Jesus, don't you care? But rather they might have said, Jesus, we need your help and we need it now. And from Jesus' response in verse 40, it appears as if they should have realised who he was. After all, they had witnessed his baptism, they had seen him driving out evil spirits, they had seen him healing, they would heard him teaching on the kingdom of heaven, they had heard him forgiving sins and even, even heard an evil spirit saying, I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But they still didn't understand after he still the storm. And all the evidence points towards that. And so therefore the disciples ask each other, who is this? Because they still don't get it. Who can stop the wind and the waves by their own power without appealing to another? Only God. And if they can't work out the answer, they're stuck in a tiny boat with the one person who can give them an answer to their question. But instead they incessantly debate with those who don't know the answer, who Jesus is. They debate with those whose ignorance as as they are. But Mark has written his gospel to answer this question for us about who Jesus is. So what should the disciples have done? If they knew who Jesus was, if they knew that the incarnate God was in the boat with them, what would they have done? And what might we do when we face storms in life? There's a a storm going on in Parliament today. But it might be that you say, actually the storm that's going on in my personal life makes the parliamentary stuff feel like a mill pond. If you only knew what was going on in my life, you would say to me, what do we do when we're facing those storms? What do we say to Jesus? Are you willing to ask him for help, knowing that he's the one who created the wind and the waves, but he's also the one who created you? He's also the one who created the people you might be storming, warring against, those who are warring against you. Do you know that he is the one who created the concept of a relationship? A relationship with God and a relationship with each other. What do we do in those circumstances? How are we today to have the faith that the disciples lacked in the boat and turn to him, not saying to him, do you care? Because we know that the one who is love cares for us deeply but instead turn to him and ask him for help. So we're going to have just a a little time of prayer at the moment. And you might like to ask God how you personally can trust him at the beginning of this turbulent week in Westminster. And you might also want to ask God how you can trust him personally in this week that you're entering. In your life, first. Let's pray now, and then we're going to sing. So, Jesus, we offer our storms up to you. We offer our lives up to you. We offer the conversations in this place up to you. We offer it all up to you. And, Lord, we ask for your help, knowing that you are the creator, God, the one with perfect knowledge, who knows who knows us intimately. And we trust you
0: with everything going on in our lives.